0: escaping the cave.com. also on facebook and at etc pod on twitter escaping the cave and i'm getting really sick of guys named todd X-Pod. X-Pod. howdy toddzilla files and welcome to the escaping the cave podcast the toddzilla x pod on the girl also on stitcher itunes google play all of those reputable podcast distributors with taste <laughs> good to have you around thanks for clicking in today Been checking the analytics on the resurrection of the podcast over the last 10 days or so, and I'm happy to report that it looks like a mountainside. Sort of Pike's Peak, ascending into the stratosphere. The clouds above Colorado Springs. The listenership is increasing at a nice, steady rate. So thank you for that. It's good to have the new listeners here, and uh, particularly you folks in Europe. I'm always amazed by this. Uh, Why would people in Germany and Sweden, why would you be listening to this podcast? Are are, our politics that much of a spectacle where you'd want to listen to a podcast generated from the United States if you live somewhere in Germany or Sweden? I guess perhaps it is. So, glad I could entertain? Are you not entertained? Of course, I guess it could be, you know, a couple of gringos on parade. (laughs) running around on vacation in europe trying to keep up keep up with what's going i don't know anyway thanks for clicking in glad to have you here i'm not uh, trying to pick on you too much also pennsylvania i have an inordinate amount of listeners apparently in the in the state of pennsylvania that surprises me a little bit i love pennsylvania don't get me wrong i despise the city of philadelphia i wish it would fall into uh Chesapeake Bay, that's not Chesapeake Bay. Wherever it is, whatever that body of water is, my geography is failing me right now. But the rest of Pennsylvania is great. Southwest Pennsylvania, I've been down through there a couple of times on my way toward Cumberland. It's gorgeous, beautiful country there. So glad to have you guys along as well as uh, some folks up in North Dakota. Hi there. Is it warming up up there yet? Good to have you here. Oregon, uh, I've got listeners, uh, a bump in listenership in Tennessee, West Virginia uh massachusetts that surprises me be perfectly honest with you and a high number of downloads coming from the state of maryland this one scares me maryland that's too close to dc is this the nsa spying on me looking for sedition here what's going on over there maryland (laughs) i mean if it's the nsa uh, nothing to see here friends (laughs) sorry thanks for listening maybe you just like the podcast maybe you're bored you just need to be entertained by something. So anyway, uh, lots of new listeners. The podcast is growing. I thank you for that. I implore you, though, if you like the show, I don't market this thing very well. Uh, I don't. It's the one thing that makes me want to hang myself on a regular basis is marketing, branding, all of that stuff. I know it's self-defeating. I understand that. If I were a better salesman, if I were a better marketer, I would have probably a much bigger listenership than I already do. If you like the show, though, I'm asking you a favor. Just share it. Tell people about it. Spread it around. Put it out there around the Internet and let people know that you enjoy it because that will help a lot. If I can grow this thing organically and not have to uh, beat my head on the wall, I, I, I can spend more time making these things, writing these things, putting these things together, doing the sort of collating the research that I've already done, putting this stuff into a package if I don't have to spend three hours a day twittering. Although I do enjoy the Twitter zoo. More on that is coming. A lot more on that today, as you can probably uh, uh, tell from the title. So if you've done that already, if you've helped share the show and, and move it around the Internet a little bit, I do appreciate it. Thank you very much. I ask you. If you like it, though, please continue. Please That'd be great. Uh, what else we got? Not going to spend too much time on current events. It's kind of useless, but <laughs> because you can't keep up anyway. And by the time this reaches you, it's probably passed. But uh, stock market tanked today. The trade war with China is making Wall Street a little, little, little skittish. But you know what? This seems to happen every two weeks or so now, doesn't it? President Word Soup will, I don't know, piss somebody off, cause some sort of reaction the stock market will drop five or 600 points. You turn on the news. Oh, my God, the sky is falling. The sky is falling. Great Depression. Oh, recession. And then the next day, the stock market rebounds, adds a couple of hundred points, and we're on to something else. Get back to me, CNN, when this means something. When it means something significant, or at least for a longer period of time than 12 hours, 24 hours, is stupid. You sound like Chicken Little. The sky is falling. The sky is falling. Ah! Stock market tanking. Stop it. You have a credibility problem as it is. (laughs) More on that, too. All coming. Spending a lot of time on Twitter, though. I mentioned that a minute ago. I want to get this out of the way. I could add this, actually, to the podcast and where I'm going today. But I'm going to try to use it more as a uh, transition into it. I've been spending a lot of time on the uh, intellectual dark web profiles on Twitter. I discovered these guys about a year ago with a lot of other people. Really was drawn to the freshness, I guess, of the material and the things they were discussing and the, and the things that were put out there. But I'm coming to see now uh, that it's a bit incestuous. The same people over and over and over again, having the same discussions over and over and over again with the same people about the same things. And their silence The intellectual dark web's silence on Donald Trump is deafening. I'm sorry. Now, this is supposed to be a collection of people who consider themselves ideologically independent, not affiliated with anyone. Well, okay, that's fine. How are you ignoring the tumor metastasizing in the White House? Why is it that everything seems to be focused on the batshit left? Grievance studies. Free speech on campus. Transgender men or women or whatever it is playing, doing athletics with boys or with girls. (laughs) I I need to figure out how to say that a little more clearly. But everything is directed toward the left. I'm not saying that's not important. I agree with most of what you're saying. I agree with where you're the the things you are focused on when you are focused on. I'm I'm with you. Ninety nine percent of the time. But why are you ignoring the right? If you're ideologically independent and you're not a Republican and you're not technically a conservative, why then the silence on this joke of a man in the White House? I have a theory. I think it's because you are despised by the left. You have no access to anything on the left other than being brought on as an adversary punching bag. And you need access. You need media access. You, I think you're afraid to offend the right and lose media access. I don't see you guys taking to MSNBC too often. I don't, I don't remember seeing you on the Rachel Ameadow program. I do see you folks on Fox News. Is that why? If it is, I question your credibility. And I'm starting to. I don't think you're full of shit. I think you're full of shit in the ideologically neutral trope. This is a problem you have. And this is why a lot of people on the left think that the intellectual dark web is sort of a gateway drug to the alt-right. Or that they're alt-right adjacent. I hate that phrase. I can't believe I just used it. But there it is. It's because you do not criticize Donald Trump and his, his administration, his farce of an administration, his farce of a presidency. Enough. You're supposed to be constitutional, folks. How are you not eviscerating him for the attack on the separation of powers? How? Do you think... I'm asking this directly. Not that any of you are listening. I'm, I guess I'm asking this rhetorically. <laughs> but how do you think... That transgender boys, girls, whatever it is, taking the field with girls is a more important issue, a bigger threat to American freedom and principle than Donald Trump and his attacks on the media, his attacks on electoral legitimacy and his attacks on the separation of powers. Why the silence? I'd love to get an authentic answer to that. I never will. So, you know what? I'm free to speculate, and I'm speculating that is because you do not want to lose your media access. You are content creators. You are just like the ones who are out there hocking hair care products, diets, and makeup. You are social media influencers. It's your job to create content, to gain clicks to get exposure, to create a name for yourself so you can be published in places like Quillette. And you can only do that, I'm speculating because I can't get an answer, you can only do that by having access to mass media on some level. Twitter just isn't going to quite cut it for you. Quillette isn't going to cut it for you. It's a great outlet. I love, that or I love that platform, but it's not big enough. It's not nearly big enough. To spread the brand the way an appearance on Fox News can. And if you criticize Donald Trump too often, are you going to lose that? Where else are you going to get it? You're not going to go on the Meadow program. You're going to go see Chris Matthews next week. How's that going to work for you? It's a problem. It's a problem that is eroding your credibility. And I, I have to say... I understand, I I, I totally disagree with the basic premise that you're alt-right, that you're a gateway drug to the alt-right, but I do understand how people can perceive it that way. The silence, again, I'm going to say this again, I sound like a broken friggin' record, but the silence on Trump from the IDW is deafening. One place that I have found this week that I'm really enjoying, and I admittedly haven't... uh, looked too deeply into it is a website called the bulwark i think it's charlie sykes's website but, but the stuff that i'm reading there is incredibly negative it, it, it eviscerates both sides of the political spectrum the batshit left and the batshit right trump and the fringe left so usually in the same article I posted a, uh, an example to my uh, Facebook page today and tagged that it made me feel as though I had bathed in holy waters. It was wonderful and refreshing. I don't know how consistent that theme is, but if you're a political orphan and truly ideologically neutral now, homeless, I would suggest checking out The Bulwark. B-U-L-W-A-R-K quite refreshing I've been finding myself lately reading a lot of older material, hardly anything from the last 10 years 15-20 years I've already gone into like John Stuart Mill, I'm reading a biography on Thomas Jefferson uh, Thomas Paine and a lot of Chris Hitchens as well <laughs> believe it or not uh, Orwell, gone back to him sort of refresh my mind on uh, orwell and i'm doing that because nothing contemporary seems to be untainted by one agenda or another everything it's it's all noise now most of it not all of it but most of it so what i've tried to do is strip all of that away go back to this uh, signal to noise ratio notion that i had a few years ago get rid of everything that's unnecessary all the bs right and go back to the foundational, fundamental principles. Try to find something. I'm not a religious man. <laughs> I wouldn't call myself an atheist, but I am definitely agnostic. And I don't really you know, grasp onto sacred things very often. But I think in this case, it's not a bad idea to go find fundamental, foundational American principles as something to grasp onto, even in, a, in the context of being sacred, holy things, even if you're not really, even if you're completely secular, what is it that grabs you? What is it that you believe in? Do you believe in anything or are you just a contrarian? If you don't believe in anything, if you're just a cynic, you're never going to get anything done. You're never going to accomplish anything. You're never going to go anywhere. Cynics accomplish nothing because they believe in nothing. So what is it? I asked myself, I said, self, what is it? I believe that's what I call myself a self. And I'm not going to find it in contemporary times, so I decided to go back and read some older stuff. And that has uh, helped a great deal, I think. Finding things that were written, ideas that were put forth before these divided, propaganda-filled times. You're never going to find anything completely unbiased. I get that. But we've moved to a new stage now. We've moved beyond bias. We've moved into naked propaganda. And That's all you're gonna find on television is sure as hell all you're gonna find on Twitter, that 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 cyber zoo exhibit, maybe anthropological field trip that Twitter is, whatever you log on to it, the naked id out there performing exhibitionist pornography. That's what Twitter is. So I think that considering that and considering the fact that it's impossible to go forward to get away from it, you have to go back, find those sacred fundamental, Principles as you yourself define them. What do you think is important? For me, it's simple freedom, independence, cognitive independence, freedom from authoritarianism, totalitarianism, the right to define what makes you happy and pursue it without being compelled to live your life according to someone else's rules. This is foundational. This is the DNA of American. Self-reliance and independence. This is who we are as a people. I'm actually quite proud of that. Surprisingly so. And there's a quote from Walter Lippmann that really sums this up for me quite nicely. There can be no liberty for a community which lacks the means by which to detect lies. Without an attachment to external, objective truth, as best you can perceive it, There is no liberty. You soon and inevitably become the subject to tyranny. Authoritarianism, totalitarianism, it's simple. This is a common theme. This is the whole idea behind the free press. It depends upon a people, if not informationally sophisticated, at least interested in truth. The quote again, there could be no liberty for a community which lacks the means by which to detect lies. And that includes both an inability and an unwillingness to separate fact from fiction. To separate external truth from propaganda. That's where we're going today. You best buckle up. That one's by request. I do take requests here on the podcast, by the way. That one's for my buddy Matt out in uh, California. He's traveling through the California wasteland. He called it Mordor. Yeah, he was telling me how, how much he loves Ted Nugent. Used to follow the uh, band around, sort of like a groupie back in the late 70s. Really enjoys his music a lot and uh, is fascinated by his uh, sort of Ciceroian political commentary. So there you go, Matt. little wango tango for you. Did you miss it? Escaping the Cave podcast, you can probably look down on your device and tell. I don't know why I say that all the time. See, this is the old radio guy in me. I have to let the audience know what station they're listening to, even though the technology has completely changed. All you have to do is look down. I am on Google Play. I am on Stitcher. I am on uh, iTunes, of course, and all of those reputable applications, as I mentioned earlier. So if you haven't subscribed yet, uh, please do. And if you like the podcast, please Please help me market this thing. Please help me grow it organically. You hear that, hippie? Did you hear that? I am an environmentalist. I am organically growing my podcast. No pesticides. Just like your kale. All right, let's get going. This one's going to hurt a little bit today. I apologize in advance. I have a theory about friendship. And I consider you, my podcast listeners, to be my friends. Friends will tell you the truth. Some people think that friends should just be supportive and encouraging. But a real friend will tell you when you're acting like an ass. If you're driving down a road that leads off a cliff, they, just won't, they won't just sit in the back seat and cheer you on. That's what I consider where we're going today. And I'm going to start by telling you about Glenn Beck. I've mentioned him before several times, different podcasts. I'm not sure if I mentioned it on this one, but he did an article An interview with Forbes back in 2010, nine years ago, where he was talking about his empire. And this article, for me, was the singular most instructive piece of information I have found on the Internet in 10 years. I don't think I'm saying that hyperbolically. I think I mean that literally. I would have to think about it, but that's right at the top. And what he told this interviewer was incredibly blunt. There's a line in the article. I may be paraphrasing it here, but for him, it's not the ideology; it's the money. It's creating a product to sell. As I used to like to say, if you'll pardon the vulgarity, fleecing the fucktards. Used to be a hashtag of mine. Oh, you want to buy this? If I if I do this, you'll buy it. <laughs> Sweet. Okay, here. Ching, 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 ching. That was the Glenn Beck business model. And in 2013, I think it was after he started the Blaze Network, he made more money than Oprah Winfrey on it. It's lucrative. He applied to his brand, the Media 101 model that I talked about in the other pod. Filling the trough. For the viewer or listener cattle to come and feed upon and put their eyeballs in front of advertisers or something that they'll subscribe to, in Beck's case. It's incredibly important for you to understand this. And you have got to learn to apply that to a more contemporary model as well, not just electronic media, not just, you know, CNN and and television, radio. You've got to learn to apply that to podcasting. (laughs) You do. Now, do I apply to that? I'm not making a dime here. I have no advertising. I have no revenue stream. I'm not asking for donations. I pay to do this. This costs me money every single month. And not a small amount either. This isn't like a Netflix subscription here. So in my defense, yes, I am exempt from this. But most people aren't. Most people are trying to make a buck off of this. You have to apply it to these social media influencers I mentioned earlier. They're in this for the money. Uh, To some degree, if they're making a living, they have got to create a product the same as CNN, the same as MSNBC, and the same as Fox. If they are content creators, the content inevitably must be targeted to an audience. Or else it goes nowhere. It goes nowhere that it will make any money anyway. The bottom line is you have got to become more sophisticated media consumers. This is the friend talking. Back in the uh, Media 101 podcast, I mentioned this ridiculous conspiracy theory. You know, the one where it's become fashionable to blame the corporate mainstream media For keeping you stupid. They're keeping us dumb. They're keeping us docile. It's them. Now, they are not responsible for the maintenance of your mind. You are. What you ingest is up to you. Uh Uh-uh. They're putting it in front. Now, listen to me. Let me put this in more contemporary terms. There's this goofy meme floating around. I don't know if it's Twitter or Facebook but it was saying something to the effect that mankind now has more free access to information exponentially more actually than ever we can get any information we want but instead of freeing our minds and bringing us together and evolving the species closer to star treks kumbaya oh no we've got disinformation campaigns anti-vaxxers resurrecting measles Flat Earth science, anti climate change pseudoscience, grievance studies propaganda, and pseudoscience telling us men and women are indistinguishable except patriarchy. This is what we've done with free flowing access to information. Yeah, we've got an informational superhighway, all right, and we're getting splattered in the middle of it by choice because we're not looking where we're walking as this torrent of information comes running at us. It's understandable to a degree. I mentioned it in the last pod, at the very end of it, that there is so much data, so much information being flung at us nonstop every single day, that it's nearly impossible to sort through it all. There is an understandability to that, and I acknowledge it, but not all of it is due to just this torrent and this flood of information. We are susceptible to disinformation and propaganda because we don't care whether it's disinformation or propaganda. We do not care about the accuracy of the information as long as it makes us feel good. We are a propagandist's wet dream. That is what we've become. Yes, it's us. It's we, the people. Again, the infantile informational consumer who's wholly disinterested in external truth. Again, I know it stings. I know you don't want to hear that. You want to blame the media. You want to externalize it. Put the blame on the external devil. Not not you. I'm being your friend here. I'm telling you the truth. Knowing you won't like it. Knowing it's going to push a lot of you away. (sighs) If you're clinging to that, if your brain just won't accept it, if it won't, you know, get its arms around it, we don't have much else to discuss. It is us. Now, Twitter is, like I said, for the most part, a zoo, an anthropological field trip whenever I walk out. I just sort of monitor what's going on over there. You know, I watch the exchanges. I watch how people interact with each other. Just the, you know, occasional attempts at thoughtfulness, which are there. But most often, it's just people just spitting out these reactionary opinions that are clearly not thought through. You know what I'm talking about. But one of the thoughtful moments that I found in the last week or so, uh, one of the uh, users, it doesn't matter who, uh, he asked a question about why Twitter is the way it is. The environment on Twitter. And his question was, is it uh, the character of the poster? Is it the platform itself, or is it the culture in which we live? Why is Twitter what it is? My response was that I think it's the platform, first and foremost. The technological capability to congregate into mobs instantaneously. But it's not that exclusively. There's other things at play here. Again, it's given people the ability to instantaneously gather into these virtual mobs. And it used to be you you couldn't do that. Mob behavior required joining a mob. Physically getting your ass up off the couch, getting in the car, driving down to wherever the mob was congregating, and joining it. Now you don't have to do that. All you have to do is pick up your phone. And, oh my God, you can find a mob to join. You can find some mob behavior to participate in. That's why I say it's the platform. There's something very beer hall. So much so that a couple of years ago, I decided to... Are you ready for it? Here it is. Hitler Reference. That's right. Decided to uh, read about Hitler's influences. And I learned his control over the crowd came in large part because he had read Freud. And Freud's opinion on mob mentality. The group mind. Freud was in turn... Influenced by a man named Gustave Le Bon. He was a psychologist who wrote a classic book called The Crowd back in the early part of the 20th century. And the crux of it is very simple. See if this sounds like social media to you. When people join a mob, they become a cell inside of a group organism. Individual autonomy is surrendered. Reason is abandoned. And And this is important. The mob's judgment and collective intelligence the intelligence of each cell inside of the organism drops in kind and resides far below that of its individual members outside of the mob. So you join a mob, you become a cell inside of a larger organism. And when you do that, the collective intelligence of the entire organism drops drastically. And you take on those traits. Regardless of how smart and intelligent you are outside of the group, outside of the mob... You're not anymore. You have given up that autonomy. You have surrendered to the ignorance of the group. And Laban came right out and said it. Mobs are stupid. They're dumb, ignorant, barbaric, just uh, sort of a regression of the entire species. And this shouldn't even be necessary to say, but I will. (laughs) You're not going to convince these cells that they have surrendered their intellectual autonomy to a semi-lobotomized primal mob. You will not convince them of that. If you walk into that mob, either literally on the street or figuratively online, it's a surefire way to get stabbed with a pitchfork. You know what I'm talking about. This is important. This is going to come up again later on in the show. The switch to disconnect from a mob mentality is internal. You cannot flip it for anyone. They have got to do it themselves. You cannot talk them into it. It's impossible. To try is futile. When they enter a mob, an individual's character is changed. They become something else. A lower functioning cell. There's also the anonymity factor. You know, when you join a mob on the street... Even back in the beer hall days when, uh, you know, maybe you were running around in the streets as a brown shirt, beating up dissenters. You became an invisible face inside of this organism. You blended in. You were not an individual anymore. You were anonymous. You were just part of this group. That anonymity is exponentially greater online. You don't have to look at anyone. You are not subject to first-person accountability. And on Twitter, you don't even have to use your damn name. Nobody knows who you are. Even on Facebook, you don't have to do that. I haven't used my real name on Facebook ever. Nobody knows who you are. You are perfectly anonymous. You can cloak yourself in anything you want to hide your identity online. You become a virtual avatar, a digital representation of the organic self. And when you join a mob, you join a virtual mob, you're free to do what you want. Not only do you take on the traits of the group, but you can do so as a character. I've never seen this researched the effects, the similarities between um, a physical mob, as you know, the classical version of the classic uh, vision of this, of the streets filled with people carrying burning pitchforks. I've never seen that compared or a study done to how that translates to joining a virtual mob online. I would love to see it because I think. I highly suspect, I can't can't prove it, I just know it's true. (laughs) One of those deals, that the psychology is the same. I think it's identical. I'd love to see it. If you know of anything, let me know, please. I would love to read it. Love to hear it. These traits seem exceedingly similar, except for one very key point, and it's the one I mentioned earlier. You don't have to leave your house to do this now. You do not have to risk first-person accountability, physical pain. Risk to the physical self. You know, whereas 30 years ago, mobs were required to physically gather together and directly affected only those in its immediate area, now these mobs have a global reach. And not only the mob, the collective mob, but each individual cell has instantaneous global reach to lash out at whomever is there. Also, being part of a mob has lasting effects once the cell has detached, sort of regained its autonomy. Residue remains. Using Jonathan Haidt's uh, previously mentioned elephant metaphor, it appears that people are quite often susceptible to drawing these emotive conclusions while part of a mob and then retaining its effects when they've, in effect, sobered up. They take this with them. They take it offline. They take it out in the real world. I told you the story about the the cyborg I encountered in Iowa a couple of years ago. (laughs) He was basically posting to me in a parking lot at a truck stop. We showed these libtards. The guy was still part of a mob. He was still exhibiting mob behavior. Because I think instead of thinking about the legitimacy of the experience, either online or in person, It seems these cells engage in this post-hoc rationalization Height likes to talk about to justify retaining what they've mistaken for reason while part of the mob. Sort of this clever and convenient justification excused and explained by, I guess, a shared experience and significantly the support of other mob cells. That is not reason. This textbook rationalization Justification. It's not even close to reason. But people obviously mistake numerical might with right. That's the definition of mob rule, right? Might is right. Numbers and right quite often have nothing to do with each other. That's been proven. William Shire, I think his name is, he wrote uh, Rise and Fall of the Third Reich. He was there at the time. He was in the Reichstag. Here's another one. Another Hitler reference. Listening to Hitler's speeches while they were being made in person. And he suggested that this mob behavior, this mob mentality, this justification by the group, this attaching yourself to a purpose greater than yourself. Sound familiar? That's key too. The sense of nobility about that was how otherwise decent people teachers, doctors, civic leaders, could also work at Auschwitz. The moral certainty of being part of something righteous and larger than yourself. That has proven time and time again to be the driver of not only authoritarianism, totalitarianism, but that moral certainty in the righteous cause and belonging to a group, a righteous group, Being part of something so much larger than yourself relieves you of the accountability and responsibility and has been the driver of every large-scale atrocity that's probably ever been committed. That moral certitude, that self-righteousness within a group is among the darkest of human propensities. The distinctions between that and a mob mentality are not great. They're not huge. I'm personally convinced that the echo chambers are degenerating us into a mob state. A mobbed citizenry. The antithesis of an enlightened one. Many of us have congregated into diametrically opposed and mutually exclusive mobs from the comfort of our couch via these phones. The latest outrages are all fed to us automatically, screaming, screaming to be shared with the rest of the mob to show how evil... Quote-unquote, they are the other. Look at this. Oh, they're terrible. We're righteous. We must righteously fight this evil. And then, when thrown into the virtual public square, online, social media, the results are predictable, sometimes amusing, almost always ominous, if you can see it from a detached perspective outside of the Twitter Zoo. As long as you're not part of the Twitter Zoo exhibit, it's horrifying to watch. This is not a fun path to follow, my friends. I'm going to get ugly looking forward, just so you know. (laughs) In my view, the first thing that needs to go is the silly assumption that people operate from a rational perspective of reason. Uh, Most people make emotional judgments. I know everybody else but you. I get that. Fine. Fair enough. Let's run with that. Uh, But most people, I think, make emotional choices about what they think and who they support in the political field and then spend the rest of their time rationalizing and justifying them to save face. Also protect their egos, uh, support a self-appointed position of righteousness. That kind of thing. I'm better. And part of this, I think, too, is tied to um, the primal survival instinct. This is bizarre. It's sort of like the self, like the individual, the you-you, rather than your emotive belief is perceived as being under attack when you're challenged. I've felt this. I've, I've felt this happen to me. <laughs> the psychological reaction. Man, it's weird. I, I, I don't think it's much different. I've never had it actually happen to me, but I don't think it's much different than the body's reaction when you're attacked by a lion. Maybe a little less severe. You know, flee, kill, or be killed online. <laughs> I, must do, I must do righteous battle and slay this interloper who's challenged my righteous opinion. Because there's an audience there. I have, to, I have to own this libtard, or I have to own this Trump bot in front of all these people who've gathered to watch me. The verbal gladiator in the Coliseum. And beyond that, here's another unpopular assessment that's uh, going to outrage most of you. But to be blunt, it's silly to ask what most people quote-unquote think. Most people don't know what they actually think about anything. Now, they have opinions. There's a difference between what people think and what their opinion is. I know that sounds counterintuitive. I'll get to that later. But it's true. Most people have no idea what they quote-unquote think about anything, social or political. Most have not used their own unique intellectual resources to rationally consider much of anything. They've adopted a side That's where their (coughs) thoughts and opinions come from. Doctrine, dogma, ideological religion, ideological scripture. They're missionaries, in some sense. Most of the time, people are just reacting. They're reciting, they're rationalizing. Plagiarizing something they found somewhere else in an effort to (coughs) win some twisted game of bloody rhetorical improv. Oh, you think you're having a discussion, huh? Most of the time, no. It's trial by recycled rhetorical combat, where the only victory has nothing to do with external truth, moving toward an external truth. It's owning them, whoever they are. And once you comprehend that, things make more terrifying sense. And I'm going to make it even more terrifying here in a couple of minutes. Sure, there's a point, I guess, where the spell is broken. Maybe an inventory is taken to repair damage and reinstate sanity. Maybe. I guess. Rock bottom. Right? That's what addicts call it. But as a collective, we are nowhere near that point. Not collectively. Not nearly enough blood has been shed yet. We haven't even gotten to the denial phase. Although I can sense a bunch of it right now. (laughs) Are you in denial? Are you? Not me. I don't do any of this. Are you sure? Are you sure? Although, you know, I, I guess the typical file. listening to this podcast, maybe you don't. Cheers to you. Now, I guess this could possibly be interpreted as being condescending, as though I think I, Tonzilla, have evolved beyond the filthy herd. Now, that's not the case. Now, I'm aware of this in myself as well. I've seen it. I was good at it. What's even more terrifying than the general awareness that I just mentioned is seeing yourself fall into it almost automatically and being almost unable to control it. It still happens to me all the time. It happened today or yesterday after Game of Thrones. Somebody posted something saying that it was, I don't know, misogynistic what happened to... Daenerys with the storyline. I typed it in, into the, into, the, into the little comment section over there on the Twitter. I typed it in, something saying that this is the stupidest effing thing that I have heard this year. Honestly, it's pretty close. <laughs> it really is. But I was about to start at it. I was about to engage in trial by rhetorical combat. I left it sit there, I looked at it, and I had to fight the urge to post that thing. I had to force myself to delete it. And to my credit, I did. But that's the thing, man. That is the beast. It's still there. I'm aware of it. I can see it. And maybe you—maybe—maybe maybe it sounds to you like I'm being accusatory. Putting myself up on a pedestal. I'm not. And this is how I know that this runs through every single one of us. On some level, this is the primal thing that I'm talking about. This anonymous combination of mobism, tribalism, and the urge to lash out and own, quote unquote, the other. I am convinced this is genetic, and I'm convinced this technology is tapping into that in a very black way. I don't think there's any question about this. If you have open eyes, you don't have your head stuck in the sand, and are, and are still able to look around with semi-clear eyes. If you don't see a correlation between the division that's going on right now and the technology, this informational glut, being able to choose your own happy facts on a daily basis, and being told that people that disagree with you are the enemy on a daily basis, if you do not see the connection, I don't know what else to tell you. I don't know what, what to do for you. I don't. i will send you to see the new Aladdin movie, I guess. <laughs> I don't know how else to... What else to point out here. I don't. And the funny thing is, is that... I don't know how this feels to anybody else. I know a lot of you know exactly what I'm talking about. I don't know how it feels to you. But with me, there is a physical sensation involved here. When I get to this point where I just want to attack somebody verbally online. It's like a surge of adrenaline. You know, the blood rushing to the brain. As the virtual lion, you know, hops from the weeds and says something that just pisses me off. And all reason. I can feel it. I can feel it. I swear to God, it is paralyzed. That's why I say I had to fight not to post that thing to that woman yesterday. I had to fight to delete it. I had to fight to walk away because reason was essentially paralyzed. And then all I am, once that's gone, is disgusted with this filthy vermin. That I want to verbally exterminate in front of the virtual crowd. Own it. Now, I've been on social media now for 11 years. And traditionally, I've been real good at that. Really good at that. Which, of course, makes it harder not to indulge it. I mean, I'd be much less eager to attack, I guess, if I were holding a blunt spear rather than one that's sharp. Let me give you another example. Probably a couple of months ago, maybe a month, I saw a group of neo-feminists uh, who were, this was, on, this was on Facebook, they were celebrating and mocking suicide. Encouraging it. Celebrating, encouraging suicide. Simply because the original article in which they were commenting Focused on white middle-aged men. And, of course, that was going to be a target-rich environment. Now, benefit of the doubt, that's what fanaticism does to otherwise decent people. I mentioned that earlier. If you're a fanatic, maybe you are a decent person until you get online, until you go to your virtual Auschwitz. I don't know. I'll give the benefit of the doubt there to a certain point. But to be honest with you, I didn't then, and I still do not care if these people were decent human beings or not. I am uninterested in finding out as well. I wound up I wound up, deleting an unposted comment wishing ovarian cancer on one of these women, one of these feminists, and then inviting her to call me when her, quote, fat little ovaries We're being consumed by the disease. That is the beast we are unleashing. Oh, it's only words. It's only the internet now. There's something more to this. How quickly, how powerfully, and how stealthily that struck, not only a couple of months ago, but yesterday, horrified me. It's just there, it's just waiting. To attack, even though I'm aware of it. Even though I know it's there. Even though I know what it is, when it hits, man, poof, reason's gone. I think this is an internal time bomb that, if we're not careful, is going to tear us to shreds. It's going to move off of the internet into real life. I don't think this has anything to do with our politics, either. I think that's an infantile excuse, to be honest with you. You know, the devil made me do it. It's like the thing with the media. It's like blaming the media for keeping you stupid. It's us. Again, it's always us. We get what we deserve. It's us. And what we are letting this social media medium of no account do to us. It's quickly annihilating what little commonality we have left. Here's a question for you. Maybe you think that's no big deal. You know, wishing ovarian cancer on someone who just wished suicide on someone else. (laughs) Who would have won that exchange, do you think? Between she and I, had I posted that. Would it have been the feminist cheering middle-aged white male suicide? Hmm. Or would it have been the dude saying that he hopes that she dies from ovarian cancer? If one of those is better in your view, than the other. <laughs> you need to show your work. Now, there's something that goes even further than this that maybe was touched on in the Hold My Beer episode, the lasting effect of it. That wasn't, it didn't just end there. I didn't post anything. There was no exchange. There was no warfare engaged in, no trial by rhetorical combat or anything like that. She, she didn't even know I was there. But I associated every feminist with her. There are people watching. There are people behind these screens. Our actions online affect more than just the people we're interacting with. If you represent yourself poorly, people will believe you. They'll take your word for it. i got to be honest with you. I still associate every feminist with that batshit woman. I do. If you happen to be a feminist, I associate you with that woman now. For you folks that were around in the other podcasts on in the earlier iteration of this one, I definitely associate Moonbeam with this feminist. Absolutely. Now, is that a rational association? Nope. Am I trying to fight it? Absolutely. But it's there. It's still there. Oh, you have a problem with that. Well, it's the same thing as many people's blanket dumb Trump voter trope and judgment. You see something done by some Trump voter and it reflects on every other Trump voter. Either that or you are woefully misrepresenting yourselves. Dumb Trump voters, they're all inbred. You're doing the same thing. And the same thing happens on the right. They see something like this, and it stains the perception of everyone else associated with that that person. This is a big deal. Nobody talks about this. Nobody talks about the silent effects of virtual radical behavior, extremist behavior, this foreshow, this showing off of how utterly vile and contemptible you can be. People see it beyond just the person you're interacting with. And it has effects. This isn't hard to see. It's happened to you at some point. Do you think it's not happening to other people? Do you think that the actions of people you like are not affecting people you don't like in the same way and just widening the gulf and the divide? How do you do that in your head? Assume it only works one way. Maybe you haven't thought about it. You're welcome. I've said before, I've said over and over again that nobody has time to engage in 100 million cases of personal nuance with every single person they run into. People create categories and stereotypes. Some good, some bad, some accurate, some not. And I have to ask, with all seriousness, going back to this uh, feminist example, we've learned over the last few years that politics follows the mob, not vice versa. Is she a representation of where you're going, hippies? I still cannot answer that no with any certainty at all. And you know what? Neither can you. So, yeah, I mean, despite fighting it, I still associate that marauding virtual avatar with radical lefties in general and feminists in particular to this day. And let's be honest here. That was not the first time I've seen such, to borrow a word, deplorable rhetoric deployed by one extremist or another. And had I replied, all she would have remembered of me is that some white middle aged Trump bot, you know, that I'm not, doesn't matter, of course, said he hoped she got eaten by cancer. In that judgment, in her head, do you suppose the blatant uh, irony of telling white dudes to kill themselves? Would have been detected at all. No. Moral righteousness. It would have just been ignored. As she marched a little bit further towards zealotry. With my help. You know, my example here. As unflattering as it is. Is not isolated. You all know it. You've all done some version of this. Almost every one of you. Has engaged in this. In one way or another, at one time or another. There are a billion people on Facebook. And I don't even know how many millions are savaging each other over on Twitter. Again, there are real people behind these screens. Well, other than the bots. Fair enough. But for the most part, there are real people behind these screens. And the effects go with them after the flame war ends. And sometimes the people affected, the people radicalized, pushed the other direction, pushed towards the end, pushed towards the edge of a spectrum, are not even participating in the battle. You are my sunshine, my only sunshine. You know, i'm starting to question the wisdom of doing these hour-long podcasts i keep running into the same thing i'm writing stuff up i'm producing or preparing material that seems to want to run about an hour and a half long maybe a little longer at times this is the third time in a week that this has happened i've still got half of my material left over and i know I'm doing this a little bit differently this time method wise i can't tell the time but i'm sure that if i were to start this that it would run well over an hour, and I do not want to open that door. Just to give you a sort of a glimpse, I don't want to get into this yet, because I think it it shouldn't be teased. I think it should stand by itself. But I am going to give you just a, a little taste of where it's going. You conspiracy theorists, you know, the ones I was talking about earlier, the ones that think the media is out there to keep you stupid, that it's just there to keep us dumb and docile, which is a bunch of crap. It is. But there is something at play here that is intentional. It has nothing to do with corporate media. They are in place to feed you what you want and to make money via advertising. It's as simple as that. It's the same thing with the social media influencers. They are putting forth a product. I talked about that in the open. If there's money involved, follow it. That is a far more reliable gauge of a social media or any other kind of media influencers' intentions. Money. If money's involved, you need to be skeptical. You need to examine whether or not they are putting forth a product. Or if they're actually interested in seeking out some semblance of the truth. You need to become more sophisticated consumers of data. You would be better off knowing nothing. There's this old phrase, I forget, it might have been Jefferson, but it goes something down the line of he who knows nothing is closer to the truth than he who believes a falsehood. If you cannot differentiate between propaganda, disinformation, and truth, external truth, objective truth, if you can't tell the difference, you're better off just unplugging and not knowing anything. You're closer to the truth than you are absorbing, digesting, (laughs) and, and crapping out into the social media toilet disinformation and falsehoods. You're doing more harm than good. You're doing more harm than the man who doesn't even have a TV or an internet connection. You have to understand that. And you have to take some sense of responsibility for that. For your own mind, you have got to take responsibility for your own mind. And learning to differentiate between propaganda and fact. It's hard. It's hard freaking work. The first thing you have to do is disconnect. You have got to excommunicate yourself from The ideological religions, the ideological camps, the echo chambers. You have got to take a disconnected approach to this so you do not have a home team to root for. That is the first step. It is the only first step to becoming a more sophisticated informational consumer. It has to happen. You can't be affiliated. You have to be unaffiliated. The Ralph Waldo Emerson quote I was going to use, I will use it in the next one. It gets into that Perfectly. Talks about conformity. I'll give you a little taste of it if I can find it. Now yeah, here it is. A man must consider what a blind man's bluff is this game of conformity. If I know your sect, I anticipate your argument. I hear a preacher announces scripture and know he's proselytizing the church's agenda. I know beforehand that he cannot possibly say a new or spontaneous word. I know that with all this ostentation of speaking for the institution, he will, he can do no such thing. He cannot say an original word. He cannot deviate from the doctrine. He's pledged himself to look at only one side, the permitted side, the acceptable side, not as a man, but as a parish minister. Then he changes metaphors. He's an attorney retained to argue a static position, not explore external truth. Most men have bound their eyes with one doctrine or another and attached themselves to one of these communities of opinions, mobs, echo chambers, one or the other. Conformity makes men not deceptive in just a few ways, authors of only just a few lies, but fake in everything. No word is quite true. Their two is not two. Their four is not four. Every word they say rings hollow, and we have no idea. If we're seeking external truth, where to begin to set them right? Again, I mentioned this earlier. We can't. It's an internal switch. More on that is coming in the next episode. A lot more. To continue the paraphrase, meantime, human nature is quick to dress us up in the prison uniform of conformity. We become clones of one another, slowly acquiring the same asinine expressions. Your conformity explains nothing. And then he continues on that one of the most troublesome blocks of self-trust, and original thought is a healthy self-doubt. Questioning yourself and the ensuing terror that stems from vanity. It is vanity. The thought of possibly being wrong, changing your mind, being seen changing your mind, and therefore being, quote-unquote, inconsistent. This is a contemporary plague that's tied into the lazy demand for simple answers, neatly encapsulated inside the aforementioned grand design that everybody demands. I need everything explained to me. The fictional narrative. The imagined order that's demanded and must be 100% consistent. And one of uh, Emerson's best and most famous lines helped me personally unburden myself from the rabble's ridiculous demands for consistency. It goes like this. A foolish consistency is the hobgoblin of little minds, adored by little statesmen and philosophers and divines. With consistency, a great soul has simply nothing to do. He may as well concern himself with his shadow on the wall. Speak what you think now in harsh words. And tomorrow, speak what tomorrow thinks in harsh words again, though it contradicts everything you said today. Ah, so you shall be sure to be misunderstood. Right? Is that so bad, then, to be misunderstood? Pythagoras was misunderstood, and Socrates, and Jesus, and Luther, and Copernicus, and Galileo, and Newton, and every pure and wise spirit that ever took flesh. To be great is to be misunderstood. These, that's part of what I have prepared for the next podcast. You're going to hear that again. The first one was paraphrased. The one about conformity is a direct paraphrase because this is Ralph Waldo Emerson. It was written in the 18, right around 1850 or so, I think. 1845. Somewhere out of there. The language is thick. The second one I read verbatim. Both of these are from his essay, Self-Reliance. Sort of a guide to independent thought. Discovering what it is that you think as opposed to repackaging what someone else thinks. John Stuart Mill's On Liberty. I talked about that last week. That is the best antibody to having your mind hijacked, becoming a doctrinal zombie that I have found. I'm sure there's others out there, but that's the best one that I've found. You have got to disconnect from the congregations in order to see the scripture for what it is. And you've got to be able to discern authentic information from tailored propaganda. Because an enlightened citizenry that cannot tell the difference between truth and falsehood, as Mr. Lippmann said, is quickly tyrannized. It does not remain free. It becomes susceptible to authoritarians, totalitarians, propaganda, all of it. That's where we are. That's why we're living in these different factual universes. What if both of them are wrong? What if both of them are inaccurate, misleading? <laughs> what if? Then what? I mean, there- I mean, this is real easy. This is, this is really easy to see the indications of that because according to Height and according to most psychologists that I know and most of the material I've read and my own experience, it's really easy to see other people's BS. It's really easy to see the enemy propaganda for what it is. But it's almost impossible to see it yourself, to see it in yourself, to see it from your own adopted perspective because you agree with it, because you like it, because it makes you feel good it puts you in a position of righteousness in the battle of good and evil. That's why you have to disconnect. Because you've got to be able to see it from both sides in order in order to become a sophisticated media informational consumer. You've got to be able to see it. And again, you know, in order to solve a problem of this magnitude, you have to learn to ask the correct questions. Not just lunge at random answers, right? And what if the correct question is What if there's no answer right now? What if neither side is providing an alternative, is providing any sense of authenticity? What if both sides are edging rapidly toward authoritarianism? Tyranny. Because the population, because the populace is willing to go along with it. I think I asked a question earlier in this episode. Who's at fault here? Why is Glenn Beck being demonized for doing what he did for constructing a profitable, a lucrative media model based on giving people what they want? Who's to blame here? Is it Glenn Beck's fault that people are stupid and willing to buy and pay for his material? Whose fault is it? Really think about that. Is it his fault? Who's really keeping you stupid? Who's really preventing you from seeking external truth and from becoming that sophisticated media connoisseur and consumer? Whose fault is that? Why should Beck be demonized for giving people what they want? We have more access. Again, we have more access to free-flowing information of all kinds than we have ever had in human history, and exponentially so. If you choose not to use it, if you choose not to use that in a pursuit of any kind of external truth, any kind of objective truth, whether you can get 100% there or not. If you choose not to try, why should anyone be demonized for selling it to you, for selling you the bullshit that you want, that you're going to find somewhere else anyway? This is not only the media's fault. A huge amount of responsibility sits in our own laps. Because we choose to choose (laughs) happy facts over truth. The media is not your friend. The media is there to make money. It will give you what you want. It's not there to babysit you. Why do you need a babysitter? Most of you, I assume, if you're listening to this podcast, are adults. Why do you need a babysitter for your mind? What are you? If you need a babysitter, if you need a media babysitter, there's something wrong. If you can't tell the difference or if you refuse to try to tell the difference between fact and bullshit, whose fault is that? And why should anyone cater to that? Why should anyone spend their days babysitting a mind that you don't apparently care enough about to babysit yourself? Why shouldn't they exploit that? Lippman, again, if you do not have the capacity to tell the difference between truth or falsehood, be it a free press or be it intellectual curiosity, intellectual honesty, you do not remain free one way or another. And you're getting it. You're getting a pincer move, a, a, an authoritarian pincer move from both sides now because you refuse to see things as they are. You want them to be fashioned and catered to your chosen ideology, your chosen ideological religion, sometimes your literal religion, you're going to get a totalitarian enema. It doesn't matter which side it comes from, does it? it, Do you really think it matters? You're seeing the indications of it with Trump right now because he's got his base behind him. His lapdogs in Congress are afraid of the base. And meanwhile... (laughs) Democrats and the radicals on the left are reacting in kind. The same equal and opposite radicalization, creating a base whose congressional lapdogs will be afraid of it. Because you do not care about factual, objective, external truth. I'm going to say this again. This is nobody's fault but your own. If you refuse to prevent your mind from being polluted by disinformation, happy facts, propaganda, if you refuse to even defend against that, there is no one else to blame but you. And there's no one else to blame but us collectively. No one. Who's to blame, my friends? The fleecer or the fucktard? I submit the fucktard. Because without the fucktard, there is no market for the fleecer. The fleecer goes out of business. That went longer than I thought it would. You're going to hear a lot of that repeated. Not verbatim. (laughs) The only thing that was read there, the only thing that was taken off of my notes, uh, was the Emerson quote. You'll hear those again in the next episode. But that's where we're going. This technology, the social media thing, has become a disease. Yeah, we are responsible for ourselves. We are responsible for our minds. But in the absence of accountability and the absence of personal intellectual responsibility, this technology becomes an open door for the contagion to spread instantaneously and globally. Not to mention what everything else that I talked about today as far as mobs. Channeling something primal. Scraping away the thin veneer of civilization in cyberspace just a little bit at a time. And having real-world effects when the cyborg and the avatar decides to take its character out on the streets. Maybe they see representatives having lunch. Maybe they decide to go pay a media personality's home a visit and terrorize their wives and children while said media personalities are on the air. Maybe. I don't care if you're rapping in a moral righteousness, moral certainty or not. What are you becoming? I am convinced, and so are many, many others, that this technology is unleashing something that cannot be put back. It has to be managed. It has to be managed now. Or we're not going to walk it back. And it may not be possible anyway. And beyond that, what do you do about it? Right? Shut it down? Can you imagine the howls (laughs) from the Twitterverse? And uh, Facebook land? Come on. A billion people silenced. I would love, being the freedom loving First Amendment guy that I am, I would love to see both Facebook and Twitter shut the hell down. Just taken offline with no warning. I'd love it. We got along just fine before Twitter and Facebook came into the scene and democratized. That's a, that's a great word, isn't it? Democratized opinion. I'm not of the belief that opinions should be democratized because I'm going, to, I'm going to, explain to you and I'm going to show you exactly why in the next episode, because opinions are not that they are not organically crafted, thoughtful opinions. Most of the time they're repeated. They're reactionary. They haven't been thought of. They haven't been thought through. Therefore, they are literally in the proper sense of the word. Literally, they are literally thoughtless opinions. Being thrown around, creating a social divide. Combining with the demonization of each other. Creating a tear, a massive tear in the American social fabric. Destroying commonality. Taking us to the brink of something very bad, for lack of a better word. You can see it. This is the foundation of why we're having this institutional meltdown and entering hospice care. Base on base crime. (laughs) Said it before, say it again. We have never dealt with an onslaught of such society-altering technology as this. It's never happened before. There is no comparison. We've always been delighted. Yeah, okay, fine. Not like this. Not with this Technology and this ability to congregate into virtual mobs, we have never, ever, ever been here before. Not like this. This is kerosene on the tribal fire. we will keep on the sunny side of life. So that is where we're going. On that note, thanks for clicking in. Been listening to the Escaping the Cave podcast. You can get me at EscapingTheCave.com. That's my website. Actually, I've got another podcast coming up. I've got a baseball podcast. Oh, it's ready to go. I'm just waiting for 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 uh, uh, iTunes to get shit together and uh, uh, approve my submission. And I'm gonna start. I see. I have to get away from this. This stuff. If I focus on social media and the news, and I I lurk around in the Twitter zoo for too long, I end up wanting to hang myself. <laughs> I'm kidding. It's just like, oh my god, am I part of this? Oh, oh. I can't do it anymore. So I, decide, I decided to start the baseball podcast as sort of a uh, a way to just d- disconnect and breathe. I have been playing Fallout 76 on my PlayStation. Killing super mutants is very therapeutic to get away from this stuff, but this seems more productive. So anyway, yeah, I have a baseball podcast coming. That will be up on the Chrome.net.adm. As soon as everything's good to go. Uh, It'll be a Tiger-based podcast, Detroit Tiger podcast, uh, and around Major League Baseball a little bit. And uh, mostly on the Detroit Tigers. So if you're a Michigan listener, I know I have a lot of them out there, and you like baseball, you like the Tigers. Uh, Baseball's my thing. I know baseball better than I know this stuff. Oh. (laughs) I'm I'm not saying that out of arrogance. I do. It's a fact. Go listen to the podcast when it's up there, and I will prove it to you. All right, that's enough for today. Thanks for clicking in. We'll talk to you next time. So long. Book Toddzilla for your children's party now.